The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning. This is a podcast where us nerdy friends sit down and we talk about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 1, Episode 8, Never Trust a Skinny Innkeeper. My name is Justin. I'm Michelle. And I'm Steven. Stick around with us and join in as we discuss Chapters 28 through 32 of The Eye of the World. Okay, guys. Uh, it is another week here, and we are all back together. How are y'all doing this week? I'm excited that we're about to get to this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so doing, I'm, doing, I'm doing well this week. Busy, doing, but never too busy to read. Do, doing okay. It's, it's, it's going all right, I guess. <laughs> it's going all right. All righty. Ready, especially excited about this. This is a highlight of my week, so. Right? <laughs> um, this, is like, this is like the break time. This is my equivalent of watching a movie for yeah. other people, and, for other and, people and out the, there. The, the best part of it is I get to start, you know, reading new chapters tomorrow uh, to get ready for next week. So that that's the best part of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, same here. You guys notice, like, we're really about to finish this book. Yeah, we're, we're, we're trudging right along. I think we got maybe after tonight um, four or five more episodes in this season. Uh, Something like that. Yeah, we have. So after tonight, we're looking at roughly, I think, yeah, five episodes. Uh, five episodes and then I think a review after that. So a total of six. So yeah, uh, we're moving right along. We're more than All halfway right, so there. I definitely had the bin- the binge uh, the binge reading thought in my mind, and that I was thinking, oh yeah, I can finish this book tonight. <laughs> like, no, no, you're right. We do have multiple episodes to go. Yep. Yeah. Uh, when we get when we get done, you can go back and reread and binge no, read however much do. you want. Um, but it feels like I just feel like I've been journeying for so long. <laughs> like we really, we've really been with these characters for a while, haven't we? It, uh, yeah, it's it has been. But yeah, I think our uh, our poor villagers probably feel the same way. So oh yeah, yeah I, I know my about... my legs don't hurt as much. Yeah, Stephen, <laughs> Stephen, tell tell us about these chapters. All right, so we're going to cover chapters twenty eight through thirty two. Uh, listeners, if any of you have not read those chapters yet, uh, take a chance now to go ahead and hit pause and go read that. Uh, so that we don't spoil anything for you, and we will be here when you get back. Okay, so if you're still here, you've been warned. Uh, so in this set of chapters, our poor village youth just can't catch a break. Uh, danger seems to find them at every turn. Perrin's new bond grows deeper, while Matt grows more paranoid. And Rand just does his best to keep it together as they flee down the Camelin Road. Wolves, white cloaks, and dark friends abound as our tale continues. That is a great summary. <laughs> that basically, I mean, that's it. That's what a summary does, doesn't it? It sums it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so, it. So I, I think we mentioned at the la- week, the end of last week's episode how uh, ready we were to uh, find out what was going on with our other group that we didn't talk about last week. And we get right into them here at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Robert Jordan. And and you know what? I, I don't know who mentioned it. Was it you, Justin? Or I don't know if it was Stephen. I said that I wanted to be in this group. 
because yeah. I feel like it would be the most interesting. And this is exactly how you guys described it. No conversation. Everyone just, <laughs> everyone just trucking along. I actually thought about it. If I was in this group, they probably would have like, uh, what do they call it? Cut me down with the sword. <laughs> because oh, yeah. if it's if, if in comparison to like, let's let's put it like Harry Potter. I feel like these are Ravenclaws like studying diligently. And I'm in there shouting like, Weasley is our king or something. You know, <laughs> they, they'd be so over me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the, one of the key things I guess we draw out of uh, chapter 28. It's the only chapter we see uh, Land, Moraine, and, and Nynaeve is the the tensions that are still and maybe even growing between between the two women. You and, know what's funny? I don't think it's tensions. I think it's one-sided. It's just, it's just well, Nynaeve. Well, may, may, maybe, maybe, but I, I think I, I think Moraine is saying saying her piece as well uh to to naive about about her her situation but uh but that, that's just one part of that that chapter there is much bigger uh i guess much bigger fish to fry if, if you will allow the expression i mean i guess so i mean Steven? so my 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 <laughs> side question though i have a side question about naive and the one power does it affect your mood in what way like you know i've noticed I mean, now, I mean, we've been with Nynaeve for a good minute now, and she just seems so restless um, whenever, it's not even, I think it even goes further than just Moraine, um, you know, the tension with Moraine or anything. It just, I feel like, um, did Moraine even mention it, that the one power causes people to kind of have like a, like the, she said that the one power is what's causing a Mara- a Nynaeve to have like this kind of attitude. It, it, like, is no, that I, really, or is that just Moraine being like I, a... I don't... I don't think it was it was so much like that. She told uh, not, she told Nynaeve because I wrote this down that you can do nothing with the one power when emotion rules your mind. In other words, oh, telling okay. her if you if you if you want to be able to do this, which at this point Nynaeve really doesn't. Um, but if, she was telling her if you want to be able to do this, you're going to have to get control of your emotions. I think as far as any kind of you know. Mood or attitude we're seeing from Nynaeve. It's just it's frustration from the whole situation going back even to her being um, Given such a a difficult time being the wisdom even then, you know, so many people Doubted her and thought that she was you know too young for the position and all of these problems that she was having there and it just keeps compounding as you know these these children uh are taken from from the village. She sets off to find them, and really, she feels like there's nothing she can do about it right now. Yeah, and everyone, I guess, is being too lackadaisical. I don't know, Stephen. I guess, Steven, it, I guess wanna... in her opinion, yeah. <laughs> you want to weigh in on Steven? that? No, I think think you pretty much sum it up. It's just yeah, she's in a mood because she's feeling powerless right now. You know, yeah. she came this way to rescue them. They didn't need rescuing. Well, not that they didn't need it. There wasn't a chance for her to do that. And now she's stuck with the two people that she came to save them from. And they're who knows where. And right. she can't do anything about it. She's stuck just following after this Aes Sedai that she can't stand. Uh, she can't stand. So it, At all. Yeah, it, I don't think... And, and you know what else? <laughs> I think... I'm gonna get... You Listen up. If Lan... And I need fall in love. I'm done. Like I'm not gonna continue. <laughs> like I just want to let that. The second she described his blue eyes, I, that was unnecessary. Hmm. Anyone else concerned? 
I, I don't like I don't like you guys as the sound of your chuckle right now. I don't like that. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't like that. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't like that at all. <laughs> uh, read on, find out. Oh man. Yep. Oh no. So this is so it is it is our typical epic fantasy <laughs> from all sorts. I mean, I guess you'll just have to wait and see. Oh man. I wouldn't expect it just came anything out of to actually be typical. It, it just came out of nowhere. Like we're over here worried about the kids. We're asking questions, and then suddenly Lan has blue eyes. I mean, Ooh. guys. Maybe, <laughs> like, maybe well, she's just maybe she's just really perceptive. Well, I guess so. Also, you have to understand that Robert Jordan loves his descriptives. And That's so true. Well, all right. he will work in instances and it, it over and over just to describe things. Like yeah. people really uh, like to sometimes make fun of how much he describes things over, like, and sometimes more than once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, and, no, more than once is true. And, and this is, this is something that, I mean, I, I wouldn't call it a spoiler, but even in later books, you know, he, he does that a lot. Like when you're first introduced to a character in, in that book, he will, you know, kind of refresh your memory on, you know, descriptions of that character or a place or something of that nature. And, and not, not even just when you're first introduced in a particular book, but throughout the story, yeah. uh, he'll give you those right, which I find very helpful. Uh, to be perfectly honest, and um, Justin, Justin, did you really need to know that Lan had blue eyes again? Yeah, actually, it, it does. It helps to you know inform <laughs> me about his character. Yeah, the blue eyes. Yeah. What's wrong with blue eyes? Uh, you know what? There's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess I am fixated on that. I just felt like you know we had a lot of things going on, and that was a necessary thing for her to be focusing on. Well, I mean, yeah. what else is she going to focus on? The back of Moraine's head? I mean. I mean, she can focus on her meal. Uh, yeah. Well, you, you you mentioned you mentioned though, Michelle. We do have bigger things to be concerned about. That's uh, true. Going on in the world right now, such as the situation in Whitebridge. Stephen, you want to bring us up to speed on that? Yeah. So uh, they finally catch up to Whitebridge, uh, and it seems like they were just too late. Uh, so they find the city uh, all tore up, uh, people darting around, not really wanting to explain what happened. There's buildings that look like they've been burned. Uh, there's talk of a, a ship being run off and a riot at the docks and just all kinds of chaos. Uh, wow, that sounds familiar. Yeah. So, mm. And it, it's one of those things where like, if they had only gotten there just a little bit earlier. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's kind of odd, though, isn't it? Like, the towns... At, at first, I thought that they had, like, a hex on them or something. It seemed like the townspeople just... At first, to me, it sounded like they forgot what had happened. But I guess now that I think about it, they're just kind of, I guess, avoiding the conversation. Because it's like every time they're trying to talk about it, I guess, except for Moraine, they don't want to talk about it. Didn't they say, like, what? That, like, there was a house fire? Or I, I think we get the impression that there are just about as many different stories as there are people that we talk to. Yeah. So obviously we know what happened. Um, right. But how many people actually witnessed that event or okay. how many people just saw the aftermath of it? The fire, the riot, because the riot at the docks definitely happened. Uh, yeah. We, we knew that was coming and that was part of why 
Tom and the boys were going to leave. They said they couldn't go back to the boat because they knew from listening in on the common room, bad things were going to be happening now thanks to uh, Gelb. So we know that that really happened. Um, But then everybody else is just kind of hitting around. And you think maybe even the people who probably saw it, were their minds really ready to understand what they saw? Because just like with the two rivers, these yeah. for these people, things like Murdral and Trollocs are fairy tales. Yeah. I mean, their minds aren't really equipped to process it even when they see it. You know, they they maybe they saw a man in black fighting a little old man and stuff happened, but are they really equipped are they gonna really draw the conclusion that it's a Murdral? Or if they did, are they going to want to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so it, it seems like there's there may be a lot of different things going on. Of course, you've got, you know, different situations. You've got what's going on at the docks. You've got, uh, we know that there was a murderall in, in the city. And if you, on top of that, you know, I mean, probably just the shock and disbelief yeah. of, of what they've seen before their eyes. And I found it kind of interesting that... Uh, you know, it's uh, I, to me, it was kind of reminiscent of the attack on Emmons Field that it wasn't like a a full scale destruction. Uh, there were actually several structures still standing that were not burned. And I think particular attention is drawn to the fact that, uh, you know, none of the structures that were burned, you know, stood next to each other. And that's mentioned, you know, they had, uh, told the story of. Well, it was a fire that kind of spread out, but it doesn't look like that. There's something else going on. Yeah, so in my um, mind, when I read this, it kind of brings my mind back to yeah, our real world when you see rioting happen. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't think that the fires and stuff happened because of the merge roll and because of Tom. I think the fires happened when the riots broke out. Other people took advantage of that. And there was chaos, pandemonium. And this, we're seeing the aftermath of that. Um, did y'all kind of so, get that so you feeling? So you think the fires were, were from the, the rioting? And just the Not overall chaos that that caused. Okay. Like, I don't think, I think so, it, because, I mean, why, why is it every other house? Does it specifically say so every deliberate. other house? It doesn't, doesn't specifically say every other house. It just that... No burn structure stood alongside it. Okay, like it wasn't like it wasn't something that just it wasn't like, it wasn't like it was systematic. It wasn't like that. What was it? That fire in Chicago or something? You yeah. know, years ago. Um, yeah. That's a really random reference, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because uh, I was thinking about uh, two rivers. You remember when they came? Um, when uh, was it? Rand. Rand had finally made it to two rivers after the Trollocs attack, and there were some structures that were burned, but it was kind of like a distraction. Yeah, they, yeah that's, they, they what were, I, that's what I had thought for a second. Yeah, I think they were. What was it? They determined that it was purposefully done to kind of, yeah, you know, kind of hide the true motive, so to speak. That they yeah. were looking for those particular three. Uh, so that was the weird part. I, I have a question too. Do you think? Oh, okay. No, we're still we're still on Lan and the Nave. I was wondering because you know Moraine, she can feel like the boy's presence, mm-hmm. but it's not because of the coins. Uh, what is that what what why can't is it is it like the i know it's not the one power like the boys don't have the one power like why can't she feel that they were there 
because they don't have the coins anymore. So how can she feel them inside of the inn? Oh, is this is this spoiler uh, territory? Well, I was I was, I was waiting <laughs> for so, Stephen. Well, to... I can yeah. I can give a little bit of an explanation, um, and it actually won't spoil anything because it's already been talked about. So, do you remember when uh, Moraine and Nynaeve had their little conversation about her using the power? Yes. Okay. So in that, uh, they talked about how Nynaeve was able to track them straight to the inn they were in in Berlon because she had a sense of uh, Perrin and Egwene because she had healed Egwene at one point. And if you heal anyone, you develop a bond. Ah. So in a sense, she's done that with the boys when she was washing away their fatigue. Uh, oh okay. wow so she has that bond so now she, the same way that Nynaeve could track them as long as she stayed close uh, she can as well it's not as good a, a tracking as say the coins which she can basically track them halfway across the world with the coins this is something where if she's near enough she can get a feeling for where they're at okay so well, that makes sense yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of bonds, <laughs> I want to talk about these wolves. You know, you know what I felt? I was waiting for a uh, parent to basically turn into a, a werewolf. Like I was uh, waiting are, for it. Are, are we are we ready to move on from from Whitebridge before before we start getting into that? Uh, I think so. Unless you had anything else to okay. bring up there. No, I didn't have anything else. I just okay. I wanted to make sure we were ready. So yeah. go ahead, go ahead, Michelle. No, I had to. I had to run over. I had to run away from Whitebridge. I'm sorry. We have wolves here, and I told you that's like one of my favorite like fantasy characters. Uh, and and now suddenly we feel the bond getting stronger. I really, even even the last time we heard of this, when uh, what did you call them? Wolf friends, wolf brothers, wolf, wolf brothers. Yeah. When you even said wolf brothers, I thought like when when we were, when we we're talking about wolf brothers, I thought it was just a fancy way of saying werewolves. So I, I, I just, I'm still waiting for it. And I know that that's not what it is, but um, especially the fact that it's a full moon and Perrin is clearly like one with the wolves right now or becoming one in the beginning. Hmm. Like, what did you guys think? Well, I, I thought it definitely felt to me like Perrin was having some mixed emotions about the whole wolf thing. Clearly he's kind of frightened of it. But at the same time, throughout all this time when they're, you know, they're running um, through the hills and the woods and, you know, trying to avoid the ravens, there's there's actually a uh, feels like there's some comfort uh, knowing where the wolves are and, and knowing like, that they're nearby. I feel like Elias, it's like, you know how um, it's uh, Moraine basically pushed Egwene to like touch the one power that moment when Eli Elias like looked at Perrin and would not say where the wolves were and made Perrin kind of like determine where they were. I feel like ever since that moment, it's like he accepted like I have a bond with these wolves. Yeah. Did you guys kind of catch that too? Yeah, I think Elias isn't necessarily pushing, but Elias's demeanor in general is life is hard, life is tough, and he's not going to sugarcoat or make it easy on you. So he mm. wants Perrin he's not going to answer simple questions that Perrin can answer for himself. He's going to make Perrin have to do the work himself. Ugh, that's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> like having like, I'm having like flashbacks to middle school. It's, it's not the worst. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, oh man. I, but, 
but that that bond is is definitely growing. Yeah. And I I, I picked up. Uh, it seemed to be the case. It may maybe it was supposed to be uh, kind of overt to us, but um, it later when when they're at the steading and, and and the white cloaks show up, we'll talk more about those the white cloaks a little bit later. But uh, it did kind of feel like um, we were kind of hinting at the fact that you know Perrin was able to see a little bit better in the dark than anyone else, or than than Egwene anyway. Um, and it's kind of is that part of the connection with the wolves? Or? That's why, the thing is, when he noticed that he could see in the dark, he looked up and he was like, he saw the full moon. So that mm. was the creepy part to me. <laughs> and also, just to be clear, Elias can read parents, like they can read each other's mind, right? Like they can talk so, telepathically. Here's the thing. Yes and no. Uh, so just as Perrin is connected to the wolves, he's also can be connected to anyone who can also connect to the wolves. It's not the same. Um, so, basically, it's as if Perrin and Elias's wolf part is connected. So they can't communicate like we can, like talking, but he can communicate okay. with Elias in the same ways that he can communicate with the wolves. So, like, sharing impressions or feelings... Yeah. That kind of thing. Oh, that was so cool. I love those moments. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like when when they both got the slack faced and oh, man, that was so awesome. So it's um, it's not like a true telepathy, it's more empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh man, I was terrified with that first instance with the ravens, because they flew into the sky and I'm like, okay, whatever. That's like, you know, typical, typical raven behavior. They're just gonna fly into the sky out of nowhere. But when they yeah. When they like descended on that fox, oh man, um, yeah, oh man, that shook me up. Like they, yeah. like, it, so at first, I mean, yeah, the fox is injured, but when they left the fox and it was just a tuft of fur, I felt like running too. Like, I, like yeah. if I was like, I, you don't need Elias, you don't even need to tell me twice. I'm out. <laughs> I, I think that that shook Perrin up pretty bad too, because uh, you think about after seeing that the the things that he started thinking about. Um, as far as, you know, and, and I guess he was trying, part of him was trying to be noble, but was he, he, you know, he was, he was thinking about trying to, if it came to it, sparing Egwene from, from that fate. Yeah. There is from, nothing. From being torn to shreds by the, by the ravens. There, there's nothing kind about being hacked down. Like, like for what? The greater good. No. That, that, no. It was get torn away it by was wolves. It was to spare his. I think his intent was to to spare her from being, you know, ripped apart the way that that uh, that fox was. It was more to, you know, just get it over quick. Yeah. So I think and be be done with it. I think and, what parents clearly, clearly he was haunted that he would even think about such a thing. But I think he was willing to do it if it came to that. Yeah, I think I'm it's, not gonna lie. I was. Oh, yeah. Keep I going. think it's. A, it shows one. Perrin is the one of our group that really thinks about things. Like he thinks. Yes. Like the other boys are more reactionary. Perrin is really thinking about stuff before he does it. But I think it's a show of mercy in his mind. Yes. Because. Yes. He saw this wolf just absolutely like basically all that's left is a couple of bones and some fur. Oh, that's and, so terrifying. You know, he, he has to think in his mind, 
would it be more cruel to take his friend and in one quick swing, she neither sees it coming, she's just gone, or to watch as she's slowly torn to pieces by a flock of ravens? Yeah. Can we all acknowledge, though, that it would not be a quick death to get hacked by an axe? Uh, with parents uh, swinging if, if, it, if, it would be if, a quick... If it, was, if it was done right, it would be quick. Yeah. He, oh, he that, is that, thinking of reason... like a one blow to the head, you're done. Yeah. Do you think it's a wolf thing? I th- no, I think it's I think it's Perrin, you know, I you honestly know I think it's Perrin caring for Egwene. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't want to take that to, to take that measure. It's kind of like the nuclear option, right? It's the yeah. very last thing that he wants to do. But if he has to choose between that and Egwene being torn to pieces by the Ravens, uh, he's going to take that option. Yeah, it just reminded me of like Twilight a little bit um, when, is his name Jacob, when he imprinted on, um, when he imprinted on that little girl. I don't know, I never made it that far. I I know, I know, guys, guys, okay, you know what, it's, you know, it happened, (laughs) but like he imprinted on her and it's like, it doesn't even... It's not even about what's kind or whatever. It's just a matter of I need to protect her even if it means killing you right now. You know what I mean? So that's why I was like, is this a wolf thing where it's like Egwene's kind of part of his pack and it's like she's, you know how wolves always do that thing where they're like mine? So it's like, you know. Uh, Anyway, yes, I made a Twilight reference. That's what Uh, I was thinking while I was reading this. And, and, And now also what helped with this thought was the fact that they could smell the white cloaks. Yeah. So well, well, before yeah. before we get into that, um, I, I do want to say something positive about about Egwene. Okay. Um, because we we've been kind of hard on her in the recent weeks, and and maybe deservedly so. so but she is pretty handy with that sling. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, what, was she on a horseback too? I, what, was she on horseback I, when I she made she that shot? I, I think she was. Oh yeah, and uh, she 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 was dead on with that shot. And she so. smiled too. She knew it. She knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted I wanted to give Gwen her due credit on that. Okay, oh we no. can move on. Oh <laughs> yes, standing ovation, yeah. standing ovation, uh, uh, special mention. Basically, that was that was amazing. And that thing, that raven came down. <laughs> yeah, so. she she dropped it with with just that one shot. Yeah. And, and that's not even her thing. It's not even he's over here fumbling for the rock or whatever. She just happened <laughs> to have it, and she just okay. Well, it just uh, Egwene did get my respect then. Yeah, it just shows you know she is not some frou frou city girl who's lived a pampered life. No, she is a country girl who has you know grown up working alongside her mother and alongside all the other people in the village, doing everything that was required. So she's she's got more to her than we sometimes give her credit for. She was basically, I, I will say, Egwene did not irritate me at all during this round of, like, chapters. I was actually, I was actually, I really kind of appreciated the fact that she wasn't so judgmental of Perrin. Mm, yeah. And I think she's got, she's got another uh, key moment coming up, too, that I Absolutely. thought was very important. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I did, I don't understand why the white cloak smelled wrong. Like, are they even human at this point? So. It just, and I was like, if they, 
like, please don't be stereotypical vampires. You know how the vampires can sniff the wolves and they, the wolves smell bad and the vampires smell bad. I'm like, please don't go that route. Okay, so... But they, I mean, but at the end of the day, they, they stunk, basically. So think about it this I, way. You know, I, that, okay. was kinda, that was kind of strange to me, too, that they... They said that they smelled wrong. Now, it, so I'm interested ac- in hearing that too. It actually makes a lot of sense if you you think about like animal and uh, like think about dog behavior. Okay, uh, they pick up on a lot of things that we don't. That's um, true. You know, most people, most dogs, unless they're just dumb as a sack of bricks, uh, can pick <laughs> up on when a person is, you know, harboring ill intent when. When there's danger, they can pick up on stuff that we can't. Um, never, you know, don't really know why, but I think it's just a matter of instinctively, there's something off about these men. Uh, I don't think it's like a supernatural thing. I think it's just, they know what, so a lot of the impressions and the things that the wolves talk about, they say they smell, but what it, it really is is more they give off this wrong feeling. Um, it's not necessarily like a actual smell, like physical smell. It's just, that's how they translate it when they're, when they're trying to get that message across. It's just that these men, there's something wrong with them. Uh, okay. And I think that just leans into the fact that these people, these men that choose to be white cloaks, they're these zealots, these people who like you almost have to be a little bit crazy. Actually, probably a lot of bit crazy to, to drink the white quote Kool-Aid. So, so, oh, so what you're, what you're telling me <laughs> is that even the wolves know that white cloaks are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, you don't even have to be a wolf. To, or actually, Justin, you might even be a wolf brother. At this point. I, <laughs> I might, know. I might be. I don't even know. I don't even know. Uh, I, I, know, I, I, know man, I was so irritated. I was like, uh, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> and they seemed like, I didn't know that they were, they were this crazy. Like, so. Do, do, do we think, were they, were, were they just coming to the steading, like, to find a place to rest? Or did they know that the group was there? So, I don't think they had any idea that the wolves okay. were... Perrin and Egwene or Elias were there. Really? Because, one, it's a steading. Two, Elias actually makes reference to the fact that the place that they're going in that steading is the only source of water in okay. that immediate area. So if the White Cloaks are marching, and they seem to be marching pretty quickly, they have a lot of horses and things like that, they have to find some water. And so it just happens to be that the one place that everybody wants the water, that's what brings them all into conflict. Uh, I don't know, because how did they know that they were up and, like, uh, Perrin had chosen such a off-the-wall area to hide, and it was, like, pitch black. How did they know to go to that hill and that the, the kids were up there? How did they know? I, I, a part of me felt like, and you know, this sometimes happens, a part of me feels like sometimes the White Cloaks are working with, like, the Dark Friends. Like, I've, it made me, I guess I, I went in another direction. I felt like they were, the, the way I'm going with this is I feel like they are secretly kind of working together. And maybe the Ravens told them, like, hey, if you go in there, there's people there that shouldn't be there or whatever. Like, at the edge of the, at the edge of that barrier. 
I don't know. I was I was kind of leaning towards it. It just being, uh, you know, that they just happened to cross cross their path. That there wasn't any kind of yeah intention behind it. Yeah, I think um, did this the problem is the second they made a fire. Well, I think the fire obviously didn't help, but right. the place okay. that they chose to make camp at, Perrin and them referenced when they come up there how the rocks are covered in soot and it looks worn and it's like oh, no. the area is like a common used camp spot basically it's not well hidden it's out in the open it is sheltered but it is not a hiding spot yeah. if they had so, you know gotten down on their stomachs and just laid there and completely still they might have been able to hide but they didn't because Perrin had to see what was happening <laughs> oh uh, my goodness so it's just that there there's enough suspicion of that area and then you know, they might have still had a chance except that you know the wolf attack is going on these guys are on high alert everything's going off at once uh and then you know everything escalates really fast oh man this one really hurt me though this chapter it it, it this was um very difficult in a lot of ways. First of all, just the intensity of the trying to hide. I mean, I, I, you, you felt that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you you felt the intensity. Uh, you were there with Perrin, uh, feeling all of those things. Um, and but but at the same time, here we we have to give Egwene her credit again Absolutely. for her, her her efforts to comfort Perrin when when they're hiding and and she's you know basically telling look everything's gonna be okay. You know, we're, we're going to be fine. Yep. Uh, and even what is it she, she, you know, at first I had to go back and reread it because at first I thought she was just being her, her typical, uh, you know, immature self. Like, will you dance with me uh, at the next festival or, or whatever it was? I had to go back and reread it. I was like, oh, yeah, she, she's just trying to comfort him, yeah. trying to get his mind off of what's going on. She's, but, and uh, she's also trying to comfort herself at the same like well, well talking and trying to get her mind off of it too no, i, I think you, i think changed. she was i think she was more doing it for parents sake though i feel like she really I, like i said she didn't irritate me at all yeah um, if so this maybe is the typical Egwene, like Egwene, like we could i could tolerate her I think. so so maybe she's turning the corner for you I don't want to speak too soon though. I I, I tend to yeah, mess we these still, things up. I don't want to. Speak we still too got soon. a long way to go. Absolutely, and please, uh, Elias, please be okay. Uh, yeah, but but these these white cloaks though. Yeah. So um, um, do do what we say or die. I I was skeptical. You know, I did think the white cloaks were irritating before, but I have to go with Justin on this one. They really are the worst. Yeah. So not to. Uh, cut anything short but uh, we do still have quite a lot to cover um, that's true so they they're found out and then we have this scene between perrin hopper and the dead white quote <sighs> that was you know it would have been okay uh, no it would never have been okay but the fact that hopper was thinking about how he wants to soar in the sky and and it seems like hopper was a bit young as well um but man what yeah. a buddy I, I I I I did not um, almost shed a tear. Um, <laughs> I just no. I, felt I was down. I, I was I was hurt when I when I read that. Which you know, I, I, I full disclosure, I I'm an animal lover, um, and so you know, right seeing what you. happened to him, and then 
what they did to him afterward. Uh, just, uh, I was, you know, it mentioned, he mentioned that, you know, Perrin was, was growling. <laughs> uh, I, I was like, growling oh, with Perrin. <laughs> there, there's so. nothing. Robert Jordan really did the most with the descriptions this time, like the yeah. axe or the axe right between the eyes. Oh man. Um, yeah. when they woke up, what happened to parent? Like, did he attack them or was it just the impact of the ax in the eyes, like feeling it, I guess, secondhand that caused him to get knocked out? Oh, no, no. What happens there is he is basically going into a rage because of okay. what happens to Hopper. He attacks the white cloak, definitely kills him. But while he's distracted doing that, another white cloak came up and hit him in the back of the head. Okay. Okay, because I didn't catch that part, and you know me, I'm just I'm just going through it. I need to get the story. So yeah, I didn't get the he's, details. He's basically in like a blind rage, so he's attacking, yeah. but he's not paying attention to his surroundings, and so it's easy for these trained soldiers to get the better of him and just put him down. Right. And then when he comes to, I mean, if you didn't think the white cloaks were a cult before, like this is it. <laughs> this is it for oh, sure. Man. Oh, this is so weird. It's like Scientology esque. that's what it was Uh, i'm Uh, sorry sorry to any listeners that are scientologists it's 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 pretty (laughs) it's pretty rough it's hard to read um bayar is a bayar is a punk and a bully he's a lunatic i mean he 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 gets some kind of sick pleasure i i think he gets some kind of sick pleasure out of uh, you know, hurting people or or the things that he's doing, quote, in the name of the light. But he doesn't even, he doesn't, he doesn't, I, I agree with Perrin. I don't think it's even pleasure. It's just, you know, this is what, this is, this is, it's like A causes B. Like, this is yeah. it. I this don't know. Is... I, I, I think Bayar is getting some kind of sick pleasure out of it. I, I tend to disagree with you here. I think what you're seeing here is something much more terrifying. Bayar? is a person who 100% is fully bought in on what the White Cloaks are selling. He is a child of the light. He is the true believer. He's there. Like, this thing is what it is, and evil is everywhere and rampant, and we are here to exterminate it. It's not that he gets a pleasure from it. Well, I don't think he gets a pleasure from it. It's not even a job. I, just, I, I I have to disagree. The way the way I read it, I thought I think he gets some kind of kick out of it. A literal kick out of it. Uh, I mean, he just. I mean, I mean, we we can we can read it in different ways, but that that's uh, to me, he's a bully. That's that's the way I read it. I think and, I, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm not saying that he's not, but I'm saying yeah. oh, his motivation for it. I think his motivation. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. He he's he's fully bought into. He's crazy. He's fully bought into the white cloak. I don't think he's crazy. I, I don't. I, I think he's he's there mentally, but he's so fully bought into the white cloak philosophy. He drank the Kool Aid, yeah, so to speak. But as Doesn't part of as part of that, um, he is kind of enjoying some of the things that he's doing. Again, quote in the name of the light. In the name of the light. Yeah. Yeah. What is it that they say to each other? I feel like they have a saying that they say to each other, like when they see each other. Uh, you know what? Maybe I, I only got that in, in Berlin or something. Like when they see each other, I feel like there's some kind of like salute. 
But anyway, like when you said in the name of the light, it kind of like gave me like a flashback of some sort. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was in like in the past. Maybe it was in the, maybe I came from like the second age or something. Um, <laughs> it's just like a past memory. Um, but anyway, I, I do have, I do have questions about when they did come to like uh, the fact that they got their, they didn't get their weapons back. Right. Actually, no, let's just go back to the conversation that they had with this. What is he like their God? <laughs> No, he's their, basically oh, he's no. their general. Is it general? Because yeah. he just, it, it's like the, the amount of just loyalty that, that uh, it's so weird. It's, it's like he knew so much. So he's not actually a general, he's the Lord Captain. So basically the Captain, he's the commander of this unit of White Cloaks. It's like he was respectful. He is just like he's just a white cloak, but he's not. It, it's like he was sane, the, right? Like the, it's just it's like he it's his line of questioning and reasoning. This yeah. guy isn't an idiot. I, I I found the Lord Captain, even though I, I disagree with him fundamentally on so many things. I found the Lord Captain to be a lot more bearable. Yeah, oddly enough, right? Like I'm not happy about this situation, but he just was more analytical, and I I do appreciate that. Yeah. But his, I mean, his, he, his first response wasn't, you know, kill them or torture them or, or whatever. Uh, but, he but he we, definitely thought through things. Yeah. But here we did see that uh, Perrin cannot think on his feet. I mean, it's not the best, you know, he's not the best at it, but I did appreciate He did put a good effort into it, you know, trying to come up with some sort of a story. So real quick, before we move past it, um, did either of y'all pick up on who uh, the Lord Captain is? Uh, I forgot his name. <laughs> like his actual name, you mean? Or yeah. like who he was from the past? No, I, I actually forgot. Uh, okay. Uh, so, Bornhold? Bornhold. And does that name yeah. ring any bells? Bornhold. Was that the um, the other fellow we met in Bearlawn? So the white cloak guy that was causing trouble for Rand and Matt in Bearlawn? Yeah. Is Dane is that Bornhold. Also... Okay. This is his Dane father. Bornhold. Oh. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. Uh, Daddy, I, I knew Luke. I knew that name sounded familiar, but I I could I didn't pick up quite on that. But I know he did mention having his, his son, but yeah, uh, I didn't make the connection. His son comes off as a punk, so I guess you know he's trying to be his father and is is severely yeah. failing at it. Maybe some of that's the youth though too. Uh, just the, I guess so. you know, young 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 people, and I, I include myself in this. Um, young people are stupid. <laughs> I, I don't say that. I don't say that to be disrespectful. Like when people are young, they do stupid things, make stupid decisions. We are rash. We do tend to be rash. <laughs> so, um, you know that, that that there's that. So, by the I way, did they... did, uh, did Perrin ever get his coin back? I. I was wondering that because he got everything else. But the thing is, uh, Papa Bornhold, he told them, he was like, this is an Aes Sedai corn. Right? Because that's half the reason they even got in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, he was like, this, it's like he, he took their story and he just cut it down. He was like, so first off, all that other stuff, you know, made some sense. But first off, this is an Aes Sedai coin. So I don't, like, why would they give it back? If he was smart, though, he would give Perrin back that coin because that will draw in Moraine, hopefully. Well, he wouldn't know that. To him, it's just a piece of metal. 
He, he just knows it's a coin that's used in Tarvalon. Yeah. And nobody likes the Tarvalon witches, and most people don't want to have, like, he makes a, a valid point. Most people out in the world get rid of coins that bear the mark of Tarvalon as soon as they can get to the money changers. Uh, yeah. Okay, because I was going to ask you guys that, because I'm like, no, in Little, in Two Rivers, I mean, they got the coin, and they were like, whoa, this is a lot. Like, we can yeah, buy a horse. But the two, so I didn't know you could, like, change it up. Yeah, the Two Rivers is, like, bumpkin land. <laughs> bumpkin land. Uh, Let's not disrespect the Two Rivers. <laughs> so, they don't... Well, I think it was, too, is that they, they're not as... They, they weren't as familiar with all of these different parts of the world as, you know, someone from a city like Bearlawn or even Camelin or somewhere might be. They just okay. they just knew it was probably more money than they'd ever held in their entire lives. Yeah. You could feel so, it. Yeah. Um, oh, so man. so we I, don't know we don't know if Perrin got his coin back or not. I didn't catch or, it. Or, or I, not I right now. Not right now. Do we not I know? I read it twice. Steven? I couldn't because I had the same question. Uh I don't know for sure one way or the other without going back and okay. rereading. But okay. It, well, maybe we'll get that answer in, in coming chapters. Yeah. Uh, did Perrin make that uh make that axe, or was it Master Luhan? Master Luhan made the axe. Gave uh, it no, to I thought Perrin made it. No. Because they were like, this is a master, like, no, whatever uh, smith, blacksmith. Master Luhan made it for a merchant's guard. That, the merchant that's guard right. didn't okay. pay up, and Perrin was fascinated by it, so Master Luhan gave it to him. That's right. I oh, remember okay. that now. Okay. So all these weapons uh, coming from two rivers <laughs> that make people like turn like do a like a double take. Yeah. Basically. Well, shall we shall we talk about our other group? No, the last thing we have to say though is basically the last thing that they the last thing they're told is basically, you know, bow down, join the children of the like of the light or die. No, 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 no. They're not trying to recruit them. Uh basic oh. basically they're saying follow the light in the general sense, like the light as in like follow God, like not, not join the white cloaks. Basically what's going to happen now is they are the prisoners and they are going to see them because, uh, Lord Captain Bornhold, despite what he is, he is in his own way, a man of honor. And so he's not going to take justice into his own hands. He wants to see them stand trial. And so oh, he's noble now. he wants them taken back to the White Cloak seat of power in Amadicia, where they can stand trial. And he's telling Egwene, if you repent and, you know, come to follow the light, then things may go well for you there. But then he looks at Perrin and he's like, unfortunately for oh, you, yeah. you've killed a, a child of the light. I think all that will wait for you in Amadicia is the hangman's gallows. So is that what that said? Because he said a particular word. Uh, I was like, the gibbet. That? It just didn't. He's, I was like, that did not even sound pleasant. But I had no <laughs> idea what that meant. <laughs> Basically, Perrin is going to be executed once he's tried. <laughs> no, nothing good comes from the word gibbet. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know what that is, Perrin, but woo, <laughs> you're about to get it. Yeah. Like my backside hurt for him. Yeah, <laughs> he's going. He's got a death sentence, basically. Oh man, yeah. but yeah, that's the last thing I wanted to. I wanted. I'm glad you clarified that because I thought they were just trying to recruit. Them. No, <laughs> they they do not recruit from them. No. Uh, so yeah. And then my last yeah. So I guess uh I guess we're on to Rand and Matt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're really visiting well, and, everyone this time around. And, and and say what an adventure these two have. It's so weird. 
it's so weird because it's like they they go to these different towns right and i'm like what makes these town people it's like they, they first invite them in and you know give them a meal and then like as hours pass by they're like you need to get out of here like get out now what what what's happening so why the sudden hate so yeah um do you think there's something that's causing this i know they yes. they hint at it a little bit that as they're traveling Matt is continuing like to get brain. more and more paranoid and is hiding and, it and, less and less. And they're less. saying it's rain, but the dust is not getting wet. And I'm like, I don't know what it is, but it's some kind of air. And Matt is getting wild. Not wild, but he's getting dark. Yeah. Mm. I think it, what you're seeing happen is, because one of the things is, the very beginning of this chapter is starting out with them leading into a flashback. So we start out, and they're ways down the road uh, near Camelin, and then we flash back to right after they got out of Whitebridge. And that's where our story okay. picks up with them. Uh, and so what he's talking about with the dust on the road and stuff is hey, talking about how uh, it's worse when it rains because then there's no dust to hide them. Uh, the dust oh, of the road, when okay. there's horses traveling, it helps them hide. When it rains, okay. there's nowhere to hide. That's what that's talking about. But um, okay, so basically, what you're seeing happen is they're going from town to town. They're trying to, you know, find a bed in a barn or work for their supper, that kind of thing. And it's going okay at first, but then as they're going, it's like Matt is getting more and more suspicious. He's getting more and more dark, and he's not hiding it. And the people can tell. And I think what's happening is okay. that the farmers and such are starting to get worried that they are like ruffians or bandits and yeah. that they're going to like wait till they go to bed and then they'll wake up and these two boys will be standing over them ready to kill them and steal their stuff. Like, okay. Or, or they just won't wake up at all. Yeah. Because yeah. I noticed it's like whenever Matt makes eye contact with them, I'm like, yeah. what are you seeing? And, and I guess and it I, is the I, darkness. I think I think you you add on to that that you know just with you know th there's still a lot of uh, you know confusion about the uh, you know the the turn of the seasons that it's not you know yeah. the spring didn't come when it was supposed to and uh, I think that's creating a lot of mistrust in people they're just so nervous about what's going on in the world and there's um, also the fact that the roads right now are not necessarily safe. There's a ton right. of refugees. There's bandits about because there are people fleeing that were signed up with the false dragon. And now that he's been captured, his whole army is broken up. They're all fleeing different directions. So you've got a lot of desperate people on the roads right now. And so these good, honest people don't know if they can trust them, if they're dangerous. So... Yeah. I think you're seeing an honest reaction to them trying to take care of their families, basically. Yeah. And and, and Matt just didn't help yeah. the situation yeah, at, it, all. at all. Yeah. Matt's de demeanor is just devolving and getting worse and worse. And it's yeah. making the situations harder and harder because it's, somebody that suspicious is going to make anybody else around them suspicious. And but, but we, 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 did get, <laughs> we did get a few moments where we might have got a little bit of a smile out of Matt. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> uh, oh, giving his giving his best friend a hard time. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that for a minute. So one of the uh, it's almost a little turning point for them when they decide to finally make use of Tom's 
instruments and they begin to play for their dinners. Uh, yeah. But then they end up in the Grinwell house and Rand mm-hmm. almost runs into a bit of trouble here. A bit of a bit of good trouble, I guess. Look, look, okay, look, it's not Rand's fault. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, this is this is better trouble than usual. I mean, this is Rand. Rand. Rand is innocent. He's over here just trying to play his flute. I mean, he's trying to mind his own business. Yeah. And uh, here right. we go with is her name even Elsa? No, it's Els. So, because I, I was like, it can't be Els. Because <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm really I, every time I try to follow. Robert Jordan's like I'm trying to like get in his mind about how to pronounce these names. I was like, it can't possibly be else. Yep. So, so I was like, no, we have to but, we have to say but it. Is. But anyway, but um, he can't help it. This is a good kind of trouble though. And apparently, that's I kids. don't. I don't know if if things had gone further, it would have been probably some of the worst trouble they had seen in a long time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you 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 know that that's the farmer's daughter. Yeah. Uh, There's only one of two outcomes that would have come from things going further in this situation. Rand would have found himself one hand short, or he would have found himself married to Els at the point of a pitchfork. Oh my gosh. But it's not even his fault. (laughs) He's just minding his business. Oh man, Els. I guess he's the most exciting thing she's seen in the world. Which is exactly why (laughs) Els mother steps in and gets Rand right on out the door. Yeah. It's like she's like, don't you have somewhere to go? All right, here we go. <laughs> here's yeah. here's some food. Bye. So, but that does start this trend of them going from place to place, playing for their meals and things like that, which brings yeah, us Tom's, Tom's lessons paying off. Yeah, but that brings us to Four Kings. What a cheery place this was. Yes, <laughs> and I think that a... the. Uh, the title of this chapter is highly appropriate. Absolutely. Uh, Four Kings in Shadow. It's, it's, you know what? It's too noble of a name. So I already knew there was going to be trouble. <laughs> and every time we do well, these, well, like... you know, I, I picked up, you know, chapter 31 actually kind of ended, you know, on a really positive note. I know. And so as a reader, you're like, oh, something's about to go down. Yeah. <laughs> and, and sure enough... <laughs> Oh, this town, it's like they... Do you think this is supernatural? Why is everyone so weasley and terrible? I think it it's just showing that... like It's adding a, a, a level of realism to the world. It's not that this whole town is necessarily this way. The one inn that we're in is probably the worst in town. Oh. Uh, and mm. we are seeing probably the worst... The seedy underbelly, basically... Um, it is just, it's so in opposition to what we've seen in like the two rivers where it's very wholesome. And this is just adding another depth of realism. There are going to be places like this in a real world. Uh, there's places where, you know, it's a rotten place. It's rotten people and they just congregate together. So odd. I guess they just attract each other. And of course it has to be raining. Yeah. Yeah. So... So, so can we uh, talk for a minute about how we all need to implement the rule of in our lives to never trust a skinny innkeeper? <laughs> and you know what? I've if, heard if, this. I've heard this all my life growing up. You know, my mom, she'd be like, you know, 
Make sure to eat your cereal. Don't waste food, and never trust a skinny innkeeper. Make make sure make sure that guy's got some flab on him yep. for sure. I, absolutely. <laughs> Every time before we like head off to school, I think that's like the last and, thing we hear. And, and and you know for two reasons: if he if he's if he's fat, you know the cooking's good. Absolutely. And and number two, he he's he's more trustworthy. Yep. Oh more man, jolly. this this guy is he's just despicable. Oh, he's terrible, um, and I, he, I, he seems I, like he smells. He probably does smell. Yeah. Um, but just, he is just the way, you know, I mean, I, I think you used the right word a few minutes ago, Michelle. He's, he's weaselly. Oh, yeah. uh, from the moment they walk in, I, I think Rand was, you know, wanting to turn around. Even Rand, you know, Matt's the one we've seen mistrusting everybody. But here, I think even Rand was like, maybe we need to turn around and, and, and not stay here. Cause this guy is just bad news. And then, uh, the way he treats his uh, his uh, serving women, yeah, uh, just oh, absolutely, man. absolutely disgusting. And, oh, and his man. patrons, his patrons aren't much better. No, and no one, no one bats an eye at it either. And you know what else? I've, I, what I've realized with all these chapters that we've been reading is anytime Matt says like, "Oh, this is a good idea," or he says like he suggests something, do the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, it's <laughs> nothing positive has happened. Do the complete opposite. So what? What's his name? I think it's um. What's his name? Is it Harold? It's Harold. Uh, the innkeeper. Oh, no, no, the innkeeper is Mister Hake. Yeah, Mister Hake. That's what it yeah. is. Okay. But you do bring in Harold Goad, our fine patron who shows up, uh, drenched, well dressed, but well dressed, and then finds a seat. Make sure that no one else bothers him or sits with him, and then spends the rest of the evening intently staring at Randon Matt. <laughs> it's so there's I was so all, frustrated here. There's always a mysterious stranger. <laughs> I was so frustrated. I mean, this guy's staring you guys down. Why is Matt saying it's still a good idea? Like, no, well, you know, it's raining outside. You know, let's just keep going. Oh, it, well, we I can't think, really do anything. I think that's really all Matt's thinking about is he just doesn't want to sleep out in the elements. Yeah. Because this is not so like this is not a little rain. This is like a severe thunderstorm, basically. Yeah, it's coming down. Yeah, but you know, to, to think everything that we've experienced so far—if a mysterious ray, uh, stranger walks into the inn of a skinny innkeeper at that—I mean, this this is unnatural. It's, this is even more unnatural than Trollocs and Two Rivers, in my opinion. And and, and, and I think stay here. you know Rand Rand was definitely picking up on those things. Yeah, but you know he, he couldn't he couldn't convince Matt to well Matt to go along at with at this him point that. Matt is blinded by so much suspicion and paranoia that yeah. nothing when something that actually is suspicious happens he's already so suspicious of everything that it doesn't even ding on his radar. <laughs> Because he is in such a state of, like, absolute paranoia and uh, suspicion that he's already at at level 10 and he can't go any higher. (laughs) And it's like everyone notices these flutes, the harp, they notice the sword. I mean, (laughs) it's like, clearly, when you go to sleep, you're not going to sleep well tonight. And I'm glad that uh, Rand caught that. Yeah. Uh, Although it didn't do much. So... They play through the night, and they finally get to their rooms, and they find themselves pretty much trapped. The barred yeah. window, uh, 
the guys outside. They're trying to escape, and then all of a sudden, they think they're gonna have the uh, the two thugs come in and try and beat them up and steal their stuff. And instead, they're greeted at the door by Harold Goad. Yeah. Well, real quick before we talk about that, do you think this innkeeper does this kind of thing on the regular? I doubt it. Like he's 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 got this room. It seems like already prepared for, just for this situation. I think he's just. I mean, I think the room is literally what it is. It's just a storage room. I don't think this innkeeper no. has had the option for this to happen. How many times oh, okay. is somebody with a heron marked blade and well, a silver I, I flute going to walk think, in your? <laughs> but the thing is, the inn is like oddly empty. No one really goes around there. I I I kind of am with Justin on this. I don't think it happens often. But I think he's not a trustworthy innkeeper in that. You it's know, not the first time he's risky. done it. Yeah, it just seemed too. It just seemed too calculated. And I, I and I understand, like, yeah, they have the sword and everything. But I think he's done it before. Mm, like this isn't yeah. the first time. And you know, in towns people talk. People are probably like, "Don't go to that inn at the end of the street or whatever." Like, chances are you'll get robbed. Yeah. You know, so I'm not. But, I'm, but, I'm not shocked. Yeah, let, let's let's talk about what happens with Go. <laughs> He's like, he's like, knock, knock, guys. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say anything we're not, like, surprised about, right? Like, of course he's a dark friend. So, our, just to be clear, though, our dark friends basically like the Children of the Light, except complete opposites, kind of like two cults. Um, Kind of going at each other. Like, you know what I mean? Like, No. Well, well dark okay. friends are just people who have... They, they've pretty much pledged themselves to serve the Dark One. And I think many of them think that when the Dark One uh, is free again, that they'll be rewarded for their service. Yeah. Okay. That's the gist of it. It's people that yeah. have sworn an oath to the Dark One. Basically, they've sold their soul to the devil uh, for power, wealth. Usually, uh, there's some kind of a bargain that's struck, like... They agree to serve if such and such happens, and then they're basically indebted, and their soul is now possessed by the Dark One. He has their lives are his. Hold on, so their soul is possessed by him, like as in he has ownership of it, not like possession, like a demon. Okay, like so it's not like it's not like they all know of each other. It's just you know no. he's a dark friend that happens to be in this town, and I'm assuming he can sense the boys. Yeah. So okay. Basically, he's under the impression that uh, Matt and Rand are wanted to be new Dreadlords in the coming Rise. And so he thinks he's going to... He knows that the Dark One wants them. He thinks he can basically get a finder's fee for bringing them in. Uh, Okay, it's kind of like how they wanted to bring in, like, Harry Potter. Like, they wanted to be the special kind of He's kind of being a bounty hunter for, for the Dark. But, he is, um, but it's know, like he wants to, he doesn't want to kill them. He just wants them to join, you know, like, hey, I'm a dark friend. You can get right. a nice cloak, too. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. He does say, though, that, uh, of course, we have things to talk about. You know that as well as I. I saw it in your eyes. I know what you are, perhaps better than you do. I can feel it coming from you in waves. So it's interesting that he seems to be able to, like, sense something about them. And maybe that's how it's he just... found them. That's a pretty sticky, sticky situation they found themselves in. Yeah. And they'd have to give themselves up, you know, to join, right? Like, they, if, if you know, like how Matt said, like, oh, maybe we can just join now. 
and you know just pretend to join it's not something you can pretend to join right right i feel like you have to like pledge yourself yeah it's there's no going back at that yeah so once again don't ever listen to matt (laughs) (laughs) so uh but all hope seems lost the door's about to break in the boys uh are at their wits end they can't get the the window open and all of a sudden out of the blue lightning like perfectly Excellent. perfect perfect timing. Excellent timing. <laughs> Excellent timing. And you know what? I guess no one got the notification on their phone about like the tornado watch or you know <laughs> <laughs> otherwise they would have been ducking like thankfully, thankfully no one was paying attention to the weather channel at this point. Uh, but crazy, right? Do you think they kind of uh attracted the lightning? In what way? Because it was too perfectly timed, right? Do you think somehow the boys like kind of it's like they were in a position of just like no way out. There's no, there's no way they can even survive this. And then what do you know? Lightning comes in. So, so you think? Are you, are you suggesting maybe it wasn't entirely natural? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I could, you know, it, 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 it was suspiciously well timed. I'll say that. And and they were really backed up against the wall. You got thieves. Yeah. You got a guy that wants to recruit them to be a dark friend. You got bars in the window. It's storming outside, lightning. Yeah. So yeah. It, yeah, it didn't seem it didn't seem like some kind of like it's perfect timing, but I think it's purposely. Um, you you, you, know, you don't think it you don't think it's a coincidence? Oh, absolutely. Not. There's no coincidences no. here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's it, no coincidences. Yeah, Rand is basically in full panic mode. He's like, have to find a way out. Have to find a way out. Uh, a way out, and then the lightning strikes. What do you know? A way out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't think I like. I'm thinking about the future of like this story and this dagger that Matt has with him. I I don't know. I feel like it kind of attracts this kind of bad thing, like this this negativity. It you know I wouldn't even be surprised if this is kind of how they're able to track them, like just this darkness about him. So I'm kind of just dreading what's going to be happening. I'm looking forward to and I'm looking forward to it as a reader, but I'm dreading it for like Rand. Uh, what's going to be happening like later on in the story? Is there any chance at all? Do you guys think that Tom is alive? I still had a little bit of hope. Like, do you think there's any chance at all? Well, you know, I I picked up on something early on. Um, you know, they they mention a, a Gleeman arriving on the boat. Yeah, but there wasn't a mention of a Gleeman being killed. He did that doesn't mean clothes, that doesn't though. that doesn't mean that you know something didn't happen. But it, it was curious that there was nothing mentioned there. Well, I, I if, will say he changed his outfit yeah, and he put everything away. No one by the time he's fighting the Merdral, no one would have known he was a Gleeman because he's not wearing That's his true. coat. He doesn't have his instruments. He put everything away. He just looks like an an older man fighting with daggers. So he could be. That's true. You know. Because, you know, it, re- it reminded me of when Tam was fighting the Trollocs. I thought he was dead. I I did. I was not expecting him to come back out of the house. So I'm like, I didn't see a body, you know, so yeah, but is I, Tom really dead? I think the, the thing you have to remember, though, is there's a big, as much as it seems similar, there's also a big difference in Tam fighting Trollocs and Tom with daggers fighting a fate. I guess. I mean, these are... Uh, okay, so this uh, uh, Merdral is able to keep pace with Lan. How easily do you think Lan could kill Tom if he wanted to? Oh man, 
So wouldn't oh, wouldn't even have yeah. to think about it. So that's just that's different. You know, the boys have managed to kill Trollocs. Yeah. Uh, but it's a whole different. It's like on a whole other level to fight against a fate. Yeah. Oh man! So I guess we ended on this. I can't even call it a positive note. The boys. Well, the boys. The boys did escape. They escaped they out escaped. into the storm. Thank, thanks to that well timed lightning. I, I'm just thinking about Hopper. I'm still down about it. Uh, do do we need a do we need a moment of silence for Hopper? Oh, absolutely! And you know what? We're not going to give the typical three. We're going to give him five. We're going to give just, Hopper five seconds. Please, everyone, just bow your head and give. Let's give five seconds for Hopper. And hopefully, we're all over it now. I feel much better. <laughs> that I, wasn't I five seconds. Was... <laughs> <laughs> but 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 that's okay. But seriously, though, I mean that was that was uh, that was painful. Feelings. It hurt my but, feelings. Um. Yeah, but I do think I do think that's going to do it for us this week. Yep. Do y'all have any other uh, predictions going forward? I I feel like they're going to be the knave is gonna, and Lan are going to be like stirring a pot of soup, and she's going to drop the spoon by accident, and then Lan is going to like bend down to pick it up, and then suddenly by accident her lips will lock. <laughs> oh, okay, so you think uh, <laughs> like Robert yeah. Jordan's going to go full Michelle's romance thought this whole thing out. <laughs> it's not going to be. It's not going to be on purpose. It's going to be unintentional. Like she's bending down to pick up something, and she trips, and then he's trying to help her up, and then you know sometimes the ground is slippery because of the mud, and then boom, lips locked. Wow! Wow! We just <laughs> we just stumbled out of the wheel of time and into a young adult romance novel. <laughs> Readers, uh, I'm this... so sorry for the spoiler. Michelle, this is not Twilight. I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be Twilight, but here we are. Uh, to, <laughs> I don't want to, it to be. To, uh, to all of our listeners who are Twilight fans, we hold no ill will against you. We don't. We just. We just want something different here. We don't hold. I don't hold ill will against myself. I'm just saying, uh, the blue eyes are still what I'm stuck on. The fact that he stands. <laughs> oh, when he stands there silently, and I could feel her blush. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's my prediction. Unfortunately, it's not. It's not what I'm looking for. Um, but Matt is going to transform too. I'm, I'm, oh God, I can feel it. If he doesn't get rid of that, it's not even the dagger at this point. It's the ruby. Oh, interesting. So I don't know. It's like, it's not even the dagger. It's like, it, I, cause you know, it's like, okay, you can keep your dagger, but it's like the ruby. And I, I don't know. Something's up with him. Hmm. All right. Justin, any thoughts from you? Uh, I've already said it a couple of times this episode, but I'm, I'll say it again because it's always going to be true. White cloaks are the worst, yep. especially Man. especially in these chapters. Yeah, uh, nothing. Rest rest in peace, Hopper. Rest in R.I.P. to Hopper, and I, I I'm right there with you, Justin. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't even know what to say here, but yeah. I, I believe you now. All right. Well, guys, uh, I think that'll bring us to a close for this episode. Uh, Thank you guys for joining me, and it has been a pleasure to get to talk with y'all again. All right. Let's uh, see you next week with the next episode. Yeah, I can't wait. Not even the next episode, the next four chapters, or next five, hopefully. Yeah. Next ten. Come come back and join us next week. (laughs) All right, guys. Y'all have a good evening. Good Good night. night.
guys, Michelle here. I just wanted to thank you all so much for joining us on this episode. New episodes are released every Tuesday. If you like what you hear, first, subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. We'd also love it if you could leave us a rating or review wherever you heard this podcast so we can get the word out to more listeners. You could email us at thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com or interact with us on social media, on Twitter, at WindBeginning, or on Instagram, at TheWindWasABeginning. We're also on YouTube and Facebook at The Wind Was a Beginning, a Wheel of Time podcast. We hope you'll come and join us next Tuesday as we discuss chapters 33 to 36 of The Eye of the World. See you then.